Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to a special season of What the Flock. We have spent five seasons covering the topics that have caused so much damage. People don't come to church anymore. This season, our goal is to repair the Bible's reputation by taking specific Bible verses that have been abused due to man-made tradition and help you understand the ultimate answer for these verses. I'm joined by my co-host, Joel Swakowski. How you doing, Joel? I'm well excited to dig into another chunk of scripture. Let's go. If you haven't listened to seasons one through five, we encourage you to do so. Everything we're going to discuss during this season is built on the foundation of the previous five seasons. So at the very least, we highly recommend listening to the episodes that are going to be referenced during this episode. Yes, in those 75 episodes, really 75 topics broken up into 150 episodes over two podcasts, repeatedly showed that every issue we dealt with has two perspectives that distract people from the ultimate answer. We called those the strict and the loose perspectives. So a quick overview, the strict perspective initiates conflicts with God's word by saying that they know the correct interpretation of whatever passage for sure. Yet when contradictions are exposed in their interpretation, their response is to rationalize their reliance on man-made tradition in place of God's word. We saw the biggest example of this is you're a sinner and that although you can't earn your salvation by works, you better do works to prove your salvation. We see these people as contradiction rationalizers. In the loose perspective, what these people do is avoid conflict with God's word by saying, you know what, we can't know anything for sure because there is no answer given or it's beyond our understanding. You know, it's too complex or it's a paradox. Our human brains just can't handle it. The contradiction here is that they still want to say they know for sure that you are wrong. We see these people as contradiction enablers. Thank you, Joel. What is the verse or verses we're going to cover today? Today we will cover Exodus 4.21, which says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Popular. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. In order to look at how this verse has damaged the reputation of the Bible, or in other words, how man has taken away from what God intended with this verse, we have recorded messages from two of our favorite callers from the first five seasons. First, Let's hear the strict explanation given by Apostle Tater from McMullen, Alabama. You know, gentlemen, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to make his will happen, including hardening Pharaoh's heart against his will. Joel, how would you respond with the perspective that Apostle Tater gave? I would request that these people listen to the God's Nature series, starting Season 2, Episode 1, and the God's Will series, starting Season 5, Episode 11. 
it seems this side needs to understand not only who God is in his nature, but also how he moves. And both of these series in our podcast describe both of those things at in depth. Nice. Next, here is the loose perspective given by Pastor Rich from McMullen, Alabama. Yeah, you know, Pharaoh was an unbeliever. And as y'all know, that was Old Testament time. So God is love and wouldn't take his anger out on any of his kids, you know. Joel, how would you respond to the perspective that Pastor Rich gave? Well, here, I'd have them listen to a few episodes. I'd want them to listen to Confrontation, Season 4, Episode 11, to Love, Season 1, Episode 15, and even God is Love in the God's Nature series. And then specifically in the God's Will series, Season 5, Episode 14, we cover the four causes of judgment on Sodom. And if you remember what we did with that, where with that episode as we specifically helped people understand what the measures were for whether or not they were on the right side of justice. But what this loose side needs from this verse and this perspective that Pastor Rich shared is to understand that confrontation is one of the best ways that God loves us. And there is a big difference between love and enabling. And like I said, the God's Nature series and the Sodom episode from the God's Will series are great because it would help people realize God moves in response to justice and help them recognize which side of justice they are on. Excellent. So the strict side doesn't understand how God brings about his will, and the loose side doesn't understand the importance of realizing which side of justice you're on. Otherwise... Life is going to be quite frustrating. Yeah, why you know that's the why are why are these things happening to me, good or bad? I don't know. And it's like that's what that Sodom episode helped. Is it's like, well, here's how you can determine. Maybe it won't be so frustrating when you know why these things are happening to you. Love that. So what steps should we take to get the correct interpretation? Well, we've been using a five-step process for every passage this season. We've yet to make it all the way to the five steps. So far, we've made it to four, and that's where we're at right now. So, and we have this great ditty you've recorded. Would you remind us of the first four verses of that ditty? Yes. What does the Bible say? Did the English translation get in the way? Why don't you look at the context, find other scriptures you need? And then we'll have another thing coming. Yeah, we'll see what that fifth one is eventually. So right? you don't need to even sing it. No. You could just speak the ditty. Beautiful. All right, so step one, what does the Bible say? We're actually asking, is the Bible, is this verse even in the Bible? And we also take some time to compare and contrast different versions of the Bible. We do see Exodus 4.21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. That is, in fact, in the Bible. So step two, did the English translation get in the way? What we're asking is, what does the original language say? So here, what we can do is we can just get confirmation 
the word harden, that's really what we're looking at here. Hardening your heart. What does it mean to harden? So from the Hebrew, that word harden means to strengthen in a positive context or obstinate in a negative context. So here we can see God meant obstinate or stubborn or stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so, even mm. when given information that would say it would be right and just to change your mind. Mm -hmm. So this confirmed that harden means what we traditionally think it does, right? So there's nearly no conflict there, but we need to understand how is this even possible? So let's move on to step three, which is why don't you look at the context? So what's the context? We're going to bring in verses from before and after in order to, to understand the story and get more clarity. So we read from Exodus 4.21. What we're going to do is move forward with the context. The story picks up in Exodus chapter 5. And you'll see, put your seatbelts on, because we're also going to cover parts of chapter 6, 7, 9, and 10 of the book of Exodus. Yeah. 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 So you with me? You with me? Yep. Yep. Now Need, uh, cue, cue the magical music. All right. I like that. Okay. So Exodus five verse one says, and afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, thus says Jehovah, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Okay. So the best way to understand this story is to keep track of justice. Who owes and who is owed? Moses and Aaron made a request. There's nothing good or bad about this request. Justice was not affected by verse 1. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is Jehovah that I should hearken unto his voice to let Israel go? I know not Jehovah, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh denied the request. There was nothing good or bad about this denial. Justice is still not affected by verse 2. Okay. Verse 3. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, and sacrifice unto Jehovah our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Okay, so here... Moses and Aaron made the request again, while also warning that judgment may fall on them from God if the request is not granted. Mm. Still, nothing good or bad. Justice was not affected. Okay. Verses 4 and 5. Then the king of Egypt said unto them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So Pharaoh here projected onto Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh stated Moses and Aaron made the people rest from their labor, essentially complaining that Moses and Aaron are stopping the Jewish people from their work. The reality is Moses and Aaron did not do this. Mm -mm. Pharaoh yet hasn't taken any actions, though. However, we can see from this thought process that he has 
a destructive tendency or a progression here that looks like the destructive thought process, which means unless something drastically changes with Pharaoh's thought process, a bad action is going to result. So now I'm going to read verses 6 through 14. And we continue on the story. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it. And let them not regard false words. Verse 10, and the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, and when there was as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Okay, the work's harder. The quotas stayed the same. Justice is now against Pharaoh and for Israel. Verse 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There was no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make the brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Oh, pretty cool. The, the children of Israel confront Pharaoh about the injustice. Verse 17, but he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. So Pharaoh's response to this con confrontation was to justify himself. Notice what's happening here is Pharaoh thinks he equaled out justice. Pharaoh took the request of the children of Israel as a slight against him. And he thinks that making the work harder on the Israelites equaled out justice. However, Pharaoh actually owes. Pharaoh is in the negative. Verses 19 through 21 and the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then, as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Ah. Oh. I mean, I have sympathy for the children of Israel. I mean, they're in a really bad situation, but this didn't make it better when they do not take out their justice on Pharaoh, but they do take their justice out on Moses and Aaron. So what we see here is Pharaoh still owes. 
children of Israel didn't take their justice out on Pharaoh, meaning Pharaoh is still in the negative. If Moses and Aaron handled this well, though, unfortunately, the Israelites were against them. But we'll get back because this is really about Pharaoh more than it is about um, the children of Israel at this point. So verses 22 and 23. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Moses is just asking God some questions and stating his opinion or fact even as to why, you know, he asked God, why, why is he causing pain to the people? So Exodus chapter five is critical in this story. By the end of it, Pharaoh is on the wrong side of justice and he believes everything has been equaled out. That's a big contradiction there. So let's see how this continues to progress. Here's an excerpt from Exodus chapter six. Verse one says, then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So it is at this point that God is able to divulge his plan, not before this point. Well, we know God's right and just. So why can he not divulge his plan before this point? Because Pharaoh has chosen to justify himself, even though he's on the wrong side of justice. God now knows that every time he equals out justice, Pharaoh is going to think he can equal it out by doing something more unfair. But that will only allow God to equal out justice at a greater level against Pharaoh. So verses 2 through 8 in Exodus chapter 6, God tells Moses the big picture view of his plan with the Hebrew people, ending with this, in verse 8, and I will bring you unto the land which I swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am Jehovah. Then verse 9, so Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So Moses told this to the people, but they didn't listen. Now the rest of Exodus chapter 6 gives background. So let's move on to some important passages from Exodus 7. Exodus 7 verses 1 through 3 say this. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. This is another verse people point to in order to prove God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But people use it a lot of times, or even most of the time, to say God hardened Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will. Right. You know, people tend to think this is something that's really difficult to do, and therefore it proves the power of God. But really, this is simple. Look at it this way. <laughs> oh, I love that yeah. setup. That's a really good setup. Yes, you have my attention. Yeah. Why is this simple? Well, if you look at it this way, if I brush up against a stranger and he responded by hitting me, 
what do you think he would do in response if I hit him back? Wow. Yeah, he's gonna gonna keep swinging harder, right? Right. I mean, does it really take a genius or an omniscient being to reply he would hit you back? I mean, after all, hmm. if if he hit me when I merely brushed against him, he's like definitely yeah. yeah. What's he gonna do when I intentionally punch him back? He's gonna retaliate when I do something more than just brush him. That's what's going on here with Moses. That's what's going on here with Pharaoh. In the uh, same way, God is telling Moses he will harden Pharaoh's heart as an effect of Pharaoh's first decision. Things are going to keep ramping up against Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to feel and believe he's justified to equal things out at a greater level himself, when really he's only giving more opportunity for God to get the people out of Egypt. Amazing. And then verses four through seven, still in Exodus chapter seven. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So it is at this point that God ramps up the judgments, turning the river to blood, then frogs, then lice, then flies, then cattle dying, boils, hail and fire, locusts, darkness, and finally the firstborn dying. All right, so on to Exodus chapter 9. After the plague of hail and fire, the following occurs. Verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous in my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Hmm. Interesting. Pharaoh confessed that he had sinned and he stated he would do what it took to repent. He said he would repent. Let's see, still Exodus 9, verses 29 through 32. Verses 29 through 33. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. So Moses kept his part of the deal. There's basically a deal here made between Pharaoh and Moses, right? Verse 34 and 35. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart. Notice that, and he hardened his heart, mm -hmm. he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So Pharaoh said he was wrong. He said he would repent. 
But after Moses kept his part of the deal and the tension of this latest plague was over, Pharaoh went back on his end of the deal, did not repent. Remember, we've covered repentance. Repentance is an action. It's a do, not a say. And he hardened his own heart and sinned yet more. So the increased sinning allowed God to continue to bring a greater judgment. However, it's something to consider is at this point, Pharaoh's conscience may be seared over. Mm-hmm. It may be that now he is unable to repent because he intentionally sinned and did not repent after he confessed and stated he would. And finally, an excerpt from chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10 gave the account of the plague of the locusts. So here was Pharaoh's response to that. Verse 16, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord, your God, that he may take away from me this death only. So Pharaoh again admitted he had sinned against God and against Moses and Aaron. He also stated he would repent. Verse 18, so he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Now, verse 20 stated Pharaoh's heart was already hardened previous to this plague. It looks like Pharaoh's conscience is seared over and he's unable to repent, regardless of if he says he's going to. Now, next is the plague of darkness, the plague before the final plague. Here was Pharaoh's response. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. He's trying to bargain here, right? Mm-hmm. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Sounds like Pharaoh repented. Verse 27. Again, we are in Exodus chapter 10. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. So no, Pharaoh did not repent. Verses 28 and 29. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. He's got some big threats against Moses. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Okay. That's step three. This last passage tells us a lot. Pharaoh was done believing he was right. Notice that. Think about it. The king tells a slave under his rule not to appear before him again. Why? It's a massive unconscious confrontation to Pharaoh. I mean, isn't the king the most powerful? Hmm. Isn't the king more powerful than a slave under his rule? Actually, the king is most powerful until he is wrong, Hmm. which Pharaoh exhibits that mindset of, I can't be wrong perfectly. Hmm. 
the king is most powerful until he's no longer right. So Pharaoh's response was to confess and state he would repent and then not repent. This proves that Pharaoh's heart was in the wrong place from the start. Pharaoh was more worried about how he looked and maintaining being the most powerful, regardless of what it cost him. So let's get some confirmation about this final point. So we are going to move to step four in our interpretation process. Step four is what scriptures do we need to reference from outside of the context of the original passage? Because really what we're getting to is we still need to explicitly and plainly state how was God able to harden Pharaoh's heart? So I'm going to bring up and look at a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 1. We will go through verse 6. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, If you send away the ark of God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him, capital H-M, to God, with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Verse 4, and they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? And they answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. And perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. Verse 6, why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? <laughs> so this wow. is this is great right it's generations later yeah no kidding i mean centuries later when the philistines know that pharaoh hardened his own heart this is a cautionary tale about the thought process and the heart of the egyptians and pharaoh this is not a cautionary tale tale about jehovah hardening someone's heart against their will. This is a cautionary tale about the mentality and the behavior of Pharaoh in Egypt. Unfortunately, sounds like the Philistines understood God and God's will better than a lot of Christians do these days who believe God hardened Pharaoh's heart against his will. Mm. So that's the benefit of step four here, where we find the other scriptures we need in order to bring more clarity and confirmation behind what the ultimate answer is in interpreting Exodus 4.21 the right way. So we can skip step five for now because we have the answer. And I just want to remind everybody, contradictions do not exist, not in reality. 
And the steps we're using are slowly bringing us through exposing and removing any contradictions that man has introduced into the Bible. We want to be contradiction removers. How about one more reminder of the ditty there, Jonathan? Yeah, this time I'll sing it. What does the Bible say? Did the English translation get in the way? Why don't you look at the context? Find out the script as you need. And the rest is coming later. Yeah. Thank you, Joel. Wow, this is a banger. Uh, I'm ready. What is the ultimate answer? Yeah, this one's simple. So we started with the story saying, in order to understand the story the right way, we should recognize how justice plays out. Yep. Who owes and who is owed? And we saw Pharaoh's mistakes by thinking he was owed and then equaling out justice, but we're in reality, he just constantly was his own worst enemy. But the simple ultimate answer is this. God hardened Pharaoh's heart in response to justice. That's it. God hardened Pharaoh's heart in response to justice. Now, we know the Bible has conflicts. It's one of the reasons we did an entire season helping us understand some of those more damaged verses or more conflicting verses. Those conflicts, though, are in what the Bible says. The Bible does not have contradictions in the why or in the doctrine. Thank you, Joel. This has been What the Flock. If you'd like a deeper study of this verse and how to deal with people who believe the man-made traditional perspectives, please give a listen to the Music of Life Church podcast companion episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.